You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. All right, let's get into the Word of God. How many came to, ready to hear the Word of God and uh, came ready to receive what God has for us? We are in our humility series, and uh, this is the third night of our humility series, and so I'm going to take your attention to the book of Philippians, and we're going to begin there. And so as we begin tonight, uh, I think it would be okay while you're seated. It's all right for you to remain seated, but I think it would be okay while you're seated for us just to open up with a word of prayer. And we need God to help us. We need God's strength in our spirit. I need God's strength. I need God's strength tonight just to, to be here. Uh, but then also to share with you the word of the Lord, things God's laid on my heart. And we're talking about something, too, that is not uh, socially, let's say, popular in that sense. Not, not, forget about socially, it's not just humanly popular, just ourself. This is not a topic that we seek out, humility. But our series is called Humility, the First Virtue, and we need God's help tonight. And so I wonder if you would, with me, just right where you're sitting, just bow your head and lift your voice with me, and let's ask God to have a liberty tonight. Can you do that? Amen. Lord, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you tonight that we can gather together one more time in your house, in your presence, together with other people that have desires for you, and I ask that you would open up our mind and our heart to your spirit. I pray that your word that is so powerful, God, could come and Lord, rewrite, Lord, sort of the systems of our heart and let our life, God, be formed and patterned after your will and your desire. We ask this tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said in Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. Humility, the first virtue. We've talked about several things, but tonight we're going to look at humility with others. Last session, last installment, we looked at humility with God, and that's pretty much understood, should be understood, uh, self-explainable, but so often we get hung up on the actual doing. We know more than we live. We know more truth than we live. The same could be said with humility with others. However, I think because of the propensity of pride to blind us, that so often we don't see when we lack humility with others and we are entrapped, I guess, or or deceived by pride. Pride is so deceptive in our dealing with others. In reality, what we learn from Scripture, what we learn from the Lord, is that if we have humility with God, ultimately we will also have humility with others. And if we have humility with others, ultimately we will possess uh, or at least uh, an approach, an attitude of humility towards God. So I think the first place that we should start tonight is found in Philippians chapter number 2. We begin with the greatest example of humility towards others. And that is in Paul's Uh, retelling, reciting of the incarnation of God, the the mighty God in Christ. We sang about that tonight. It's all in Him. It's more than just a revelation. It's more than just 
a theological disposition, but understanding that the God that is eternal, that is from everlasting to everlasting, the God that is without beginning, without ending, he, he made himself uh, uh, a man and he comes down and he dwells among it. He who knows no limits placed himself with uh, uh, beneath the burden of limits. He who knew no uh, 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 limit to his power would subject himself to the power of others. This is, this is more than just uh, uh, a theological uh, point that we, that we hold to in our identity as oneness Pentecostals, but this revelation, this illumination, this understanding of this principle that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that Jesus was not just another person, a demigod, he was not just a rabbi, but that he was the great I am, eternal, made flesh and dwelt among us, shows us the greatest example of God. Why would God ever need to submit to humanity? Why would God? He didn't need to, but he chose to. He chose to for our salvation. He chose to to win our salvation, but he also chose to to be an example for us. And this is what Paul addresses. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5. He said this. Well, let's go to verse number 4. Look at what he says. Well, let's go to verse number 3. Context. It's always beautiful. You keep going back. We'll stop there. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So here Paul in the context is talking about possessing humility with others. Don't let things be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind or humility, let each esteem other better than themselves. We're going we're gonna to come back to that, and we're going to look at that in a little bit. But he goes on, and now he gives us this example. And he says this, Let not every man, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Let's pause for a moment and look at that. This, this can be a little bit difficult because the English here uh, is, is a little bit before our time, and so sometimes we don't always process everything that's being said, but he said, Paul is saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, in the morphe of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What's he saying there? He's saying Christ comes down on this earth. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is the morphe of God. He is the form of God. He is the express image of God. We could go through all of the things that the New Testament talks about, but Christ is, is the physical 
visible manifestation, representation of God on earth. And so when he comes, he thinks it's not robbery to be equal with God. He's not, he is saying things like, before Abraham was, I am. Those were blasphemous if, if he was not God. That's what got him killed. That's what got him crucified because they said this man is equating himself with the great I am. He's not saying he's a part or he's a son of God or priest of God like all of us, but he is saying that he actually is the one that was there that formed Adam into being. And so Paul is saying he came in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, which means, look, he, he, he's letting us know that he's not robbing, robbing anything, but he made of himself no reputation, and he took upon him the form of a servant. I heard one, I heard one scholar say that uh, if we would put that, uh, the, the, the Greek that this is written in, if you translate it out, another way it could be said was that Jesus did not grasp at divine prerogatives, which means he is God manifest in the flesh. When God comes to the earth, he's creator and we're creation. We ought to roll out the red carpet. We ought to do everything. But when God came down, he did not seek to be treated any different than any other human being. He did not seek to be treated like someone else. It would be as if the president or the CEO or whatever comes into a room and they are expecting nothing more than the lowest and the lowest paid and the newest and, and, and the, the least uh, uh, skilled person in that industry. They're just coming. So Christ comes as God manifests in the flesh. But yet he did not seek to have any, he didn't have to have trumpets heralding. He sat at the table and ate just like them next to them. He stood in line at the grocery store. They didn't have grocery stores, but you get what I'm saying. He stood in line. He didn't cut in line because, hey, I ought to go first. He came, he submits himself, and he humbled himself. Look at this. He, he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And here it is. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The humility that Christ expressed was not a humility just of his dealing with other people. But it was ultimate humility in this sense that he subjected himself. He willingly subjected himself to the same burdens that you and I carry. He could have come down and said, okay, I'll come, but I won't be heralded as a king. I'll, I'll enter in quietly and I'll be born in a manger and we'll celebrate all that. No, isn't that great? But he could have come as God manifest in the flesh and said, I'll do all that and I'll grow up and I'll wait until I'm 30 before I'm acknowledged as a rabbi and a minister. And I'll, I'll go through all of that. But he didn't just do all of that. He said, I'm, if I'm coming out, I'm subjecting myself to the same pains and the same burdens that they deal with. I'm going to feel the same pain when you fall and you stumble and you hurt. I'm going to feel the same hurt inside, not only physically, but I'm going to feel the same hurt and betrayal inside when Judas would betray him. He knew that. He was God manifest in flesh. He's the one that wrote the book. 
He knew the prophecy that had to be fulfilled. But he would also still subject himself to the pain of what it meant to be betrayed. There's not one person in here that goes through a betrayal that Christ doesn't know what you are dealing with, what you're feeling. It's not one person in here that goes through a bereavement, that goes through loss, that he doesn't know also what you're dealing with because he went through that before he stood before the tomb and he called Lazarus forth and he resurrected him. He stood there in submission and obedience and the Bible says he wept because he felt the pain of what it was like to lose someone that was so dear to him. Christ comes and he humiliates himself. He comes in humility. He allows himself to even be obedient unto death. Did Christ die? No, he did not. Uh, uh, yet, yes, in his flesh, in the incarnation, he felt what it was like to go through death. He experienced death. God did not die. God cannot die. He did not cease to be God, but he submitted himself. He was obedient to death, even the death of the cross, not just a simple death, but an excruciating death. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Christ humbles himself, get this, Christ humbles himself before God. And then he humbles himself before others. Don't be confused, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, inserting some other kind of thing there. We are oneness, we believe in the oneness of God. God is one. We don't separate, there, there's not, when you get to heaven, there's not going to be three thrones in heaven, there's not going to be two thrones in heaven, there's going to be one throne in heaven. And there's one that sits on the throne. And that one on the throne is the Ancient of Days, also known as the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that John saw in the book of Revelation, but he's also the one that Daniel saw way back when. He's the same person. He's the one person. He's God manifest. If God did not choose to manifest himself and express himself, we as finite creatures would visibly not be, it would not be possible for us to look on God, to even see God. And so Jesus Christ is that form. He is the expression. Jesus Christ is not something other than God. He is God. But He is the unknowable God made known. He's the unseeable God made seen. And when God manifests Himself in flesh, the incarnation, the incarnation willingly became submitted, submitted before God in that sense, in that sense that he did not grasp at divine prerogatives. He let go. He stepped aside. He stepped out of the throne. He stepped into his creation. He said, I will be subject the same God. I mean, try, try to imagine this with you. Jesus created, Jesus as God created the earth. But yet he subjected himself to the storms that he controlled. He subjected himself to the very things so he surrenders himself, right? This is, what, this, is what, this is what Paul is saying. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ, to being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He humbled himself before God. 
and then he humbled himself before others. He took upon him the form of a servant. I'm going to tell you, when you humble yourself before God, the next step automatically is you will humble yourself before others. Hear me today. You cannot humble yourself before God and leave behind, at the same time, leave behind humility with others. When you humble yourself before God, it's going to lead to a humility with others. When you humble yourself before God, it's going to be an automatic step in your life. Amen. So we also will never be humble with others until we are humble with God. Amen. So these things go together. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. We'll go a little quicker here. Paul says this. He said, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Here it is. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That, that addresses humility with God. Don't think of yourself more highly. But then he says, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I've got a slide here. It says this, pride never admits failure, but humility confesses it. Pride never admits failure, but humility confesses it. Pride thinks it's always right and everyone else is wrong. Now, if that hits, if that hits a sore spot with you, just say praise the Lord. Why is everybody else always wrong? Come on. It's everybody else's fault. It's never your fault. Come on. I, I know nobody's going to be real in here. We have some perfect drivers, and when you get on the road, everybody else is a crazy driver. Right? You've never had an accident. You've never done anything wrong. It's never been your fault. You never cut somebody off. You never forgot your turn signal. You've never had. Come on. That's just one area of your life. Everybody else is wrong. Everywhere you go, pride never admits failure, but humility confesses it. Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't fool yourself. I'll never forget the first time I, I, had a, I learned to play the piano at a young age. I, I was probably about 12 or 13 when I really got into it. Somebody started teaching me and started playing the piano excessively. And uh, at the time, our youth pastor's wife uh, was pregnant with their first uh, child, Ellis. And so she wasn't able to, to stand up there and play for our youth service. We had youth church twice a week. There's about 100, 100 plus kids every service. And, and so uh, I was learning to play the piano, and I knew how to play like, I think, five choruses like five songs, that was it. And so they asked me if I could play the piano, and so I started playing the piano. So for like a month, we only sang five songs. That was like, oh. <laughs> and from there, I just started learning, playing all the time, and all of a sudden you realize that one song sounds like this song, but it's a little bit different, and all of a sudden five turns into 100 really quick, and it, it just, it was the best training. It was fun time, and so it's playing the piano, but I had never played in big church. That's what we called upstairs, the adult church, the main service. Back then, you know, they had... 
you know, it was nothing to have 14, 1,500 people on Sunday. And so I remember they asked me to play for the main service one time. And the first opportunity I got to play was uh, in 1995, uh, Brother Anderson, Lyndall Anderson, Dr. Anderson now came to Indianapolis to become the music director. And I was 15 years old in the youth group and uh, he wanted to know who play, played the piano. And so he had me play for the youth choir. And it was a song, it was not hard musically. It was like the simplest song ever in the world. Like there was, I mean, there was nothing complicated in the chords and everything else. It was just so basic and simple. It was almost like, man, I want something, you know, impressive to play. Like the first time, I don't want to play this little. And I got up there to play and we were playing choir, choir songs going great. It's my first time ever to play in big church, you know. We get to the verse. And, and I literally had on the piano, I put the sheet, I, I brought the, the lead sheet. It was right there. But I didn't even look at the lead sheet because I didn't need it. I mean, it was so simple. It was so basic. And I'm standing there at the keyboard, and the lead sheet is right there. And all of a sudden, in front of over 1,000 people, my mind goes blank. And I look at the lead sheet, and in that moment, it was written in Chinese. And the soloist just kept singing, singing. Drums, bass, they had, a, they had drums and bass for an accompaniment, and that was it for the whole verse. And then all of a sudden, it kicked back in, and it was like, all of a sudden, I come back, it didn't miss a beat. It was just like, it was like I just stopped for a moment. I just froze. I didn't know what to do, and panic set in. And I walked out of there, and I was like, man, I was like, a, I went over, I remember services going on. I can't remember what they preached that night. I have no clue what happened because I'm just sitting there thinking like I'm a failure. Wow, I'm never going to be asked. They're going to kick me out of the youth choir. They're going to kick me out of everything. And, and Caitlin, your dad walked over to me after church, and I, was, I, I, was, I had come up with this great speech. What am I going to say? And he came over there, and he said, Oh, Andrew, don't even worry about that. Happens all the time. Nothing to it. We all make mistakes. We all do things. And I thought, oh, he's just saying that to make me feel good. And, and, and then you start paying attention. And you realize how people make mistakes here and there. We fool ourselves when we think I'm always perfect. And all of a sudden, our kingdoms, are, 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 they have the foot knocked out from under them when we realize that we make mistakes. Pride never admits its failure, but humility confesses it. One of the great things about Brother Anderson, he's, he's always been so humble in his, in his teaching style for, for music, and he's, he's taught and blessed so many young people over the years in music ministry because he would sit there and say, wow, wow, you're doing that better than I can. I can't even do that. I remember the time where he was in his office and he brought me in and he said, Andrew, you played something. What was that? What was that chord? I've never played, I've never heard that chord. Come, what, what was this chord? Or how did you do that? Or wow. And he used that. I remember when he used that on a recording one time in the studio and I was sitting there like, I actually taught him something. It's like, wow, he can play circles around me. I, I still, to this day, I can't really read sheet music. I mean, I can, but it takes me forever. Like, I can't really read it. I, I, I can hear it quicker than I can read it. And so he would, he would give me, uh, uh, he tried to teach me how to play by, by notes. And, and so he'd say, okay, I want you to read the music. And I'd go home and I'd find a recording of it and I'd listen to it. And it was a classical piece and I could play the classical piece. I couldn't read the music at all. And I'd come back and play it. And finally he caught on and he said, okay, play that. And he took the music away and I still played it. And he said, okay, what is it? And he put the music back. And well, it wasn't the same music. Play this. And I played the wrong thing. And he's like, uh-huh, see, you're not reading the music. 
And I remember that moment when I taught him something, one little thing. I knew that he knew way more than me, but all of a sudden it, it, it taught me something. Wow, he knew way more than me, but he was still had the ability to learn. The humility to say, hey, I can still learn. Pride never admits failure. But humility says, hey, there are always areas where I need improvement, where I can, where I can have that. Can I tell you, you, you don't have, you can't afford to have pride in your spirit because pride walks into the church and says, don't preach to me. But humility walks into the church and says, preach to me. I know I've been living for God a long time. I know I've overcome the testimonies or the temptations and the trials, but I'm here today. I'm ready. Preach to me. Hallelujah. Second Corinth or 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. Can I tell you that true love is absent of pride? True love is absent of pride. True love does not exist, amen, in a prideful home. It only exists where humility takes the lead. We'll look at it here in just a little bit. Uh, uh, next, that in love, we, we usually think mostly of relationships, a lot of times romantic relationships, intimate relationships. We think of uh, 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 paternal relationships, those relationships in the home and in family, love. But can I tell you, love will not exist where pride stamps it out. You've got to have humility. We were talking... The other night about books, somebody, somebody mentioned a book, and uh, I think it was maybe The Sacred Search. I haven't read the book. I perused it, but uh, the book, The Sacred Marriage, my favorite marriage book, uh, probably of all, I don't know if I've read 20 or more, but probably the, the favorite, my favorite marriage book stands up, and the reason why is because the subtitle is, poses the question, what if marriage was intended to make us holy more than to make us happy? And it puts it in perspective. Happiness is not the reason for the marriage. Happiness is the product of the relationship. And when you realize what, what is this marriage, this relationship about, it's about humility, it's about serving one another, it's about loving one another. Happiness is something that comes from that. Love vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. I'm going to tell you, if you're in any relationship, whether that's parent, child, spouse, whatever, and pride dictates. Pride says they're here to serve me. They're here for me, and it's a one-way thing. That's, that's not, that relationship is not bound for success. This is what Paul, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Paul says this, and it echoes what we read earlier, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How do you do that? How do you find unity? You get unity when there's humility present. You will never have unity when there's pride at the table. With lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Can I tell you, what will destroy revival, everything that God has accomplished in CTK, everything that God purposes and envisions for CTK, what will destroy it quicker than anything is for pride to come in, for disunity to be in here. We've got to be of one mind and one body. We've got to be of one spirit. We've got to be after the same goal. This is not a platform to build celebrities. This is not a stage to launch ministries. This is a house, amen, to serve the kingdom of God. This is a place to lift up the name of Jesus where Christ is glorified. It happens only with humility. Look at this. He goes on in the next chapter in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. He says this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Paul talks about submission. Submission in the church that we are to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of Of the Lord. What did we talk about at the very beginning? We talked about pride before God. We talked about humility with God. And we talked about pride being the problem. That the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That in the fear of the Lord. That's our humility with God. It's in this understanding and revelation that we have humility with God. That we submit ourselves one to another. Amen. How many believe in the Spirit? How many believe in the working of the Spirit? How many believe in the gifts of the Spirit? And how do the gifts of the Spirit operate? They operate through His body. And what is His body? But His body is made up of the members of the church. If you want to be ministered to by the Spirit, by the gifts of the Spirit, the only way that's going to happen is if somebody else in the church, in the body of Christ, has the ability to minister into your life. And if you're not submitted to that, you have now drawn a line. And you have eliminated the working and the operating of the Spirit of God inside of your life. Does that put it in perspective? I want the Holy Ghost to speak to me. I want the Spirit of God to speak to me. Ever had a thus saith the Lord moment? Now, I'm not, you know me, I'm not one that believes that every time we come to church, we have to have an angelic voice from the Lord. You you, You don't need every Sunday to have a thus saith the Lord moment in your life. You're stronger than that. God's given His Word. It's forever settled in heaven. But there are seasons and times in your life where you will go through where you are going to need a word from God. A spoken word, a direct word. Yes, that's confirmed by His Word. But what I'm talking about is a word in the gifts of the Spirit. I've had that happen in my life. There's been a few occasions where it's been so pronounced, where it's been so incredible, always confirmed by His Word, always in the right spirit. But if I am not submitted... If I don't have, first of all, humility with God, I'd never receive it. But then I've got to have humility submitting yourself one to another in the fear of God. It goes back back to the teacher, the tutor, and the student. Dr. Anderson, Brother Anderson being my piano instructor, the last piano instructor I had, being the one that uh, formal, I should say formal piano instructor, being the teacher, and yet teaching me and showing me that he was willing to be taught to learn himself. As a pastor, as a preacher, I can't get to the place to where I am the only one that can preach. And we're intentional here. We're intentional that I'm not the only one that fills this pulpit. Yes, 
Yes, I'm young. Yes, I'm very young. And I've got enough energy. I could be the one, only one that preaches all the time. Why are you laughing? I could do it physically, maybe. I don't know. But that doesn't do us any good. We've got to learn even in that sense. You've got to be blessed by others. How many were blessed Sunday by Brother Caraway? How many were blessed Sunday night by Sister Larissa? And others, we could go on. Others that are here that constantly are blessing us and helping us. We've got to do that. We're a part of the body of Christ. We're not building a kingdom of, of men and of celebrities. We're, we're, we're submitting ourselves one to another in prayer. You, you, you see me, I, I don't do it to be uh, showy, but, but I, I'm not too big that I can't kneel down. And I know these 40-year-old knees don't like it as much as my 20-year-old knees did. But I can still come and humble myself before the Lord. And I need that. Many of you are praying for me. This past weekend we were in Indiana preaching for a friend. There, sister, is a precious lady, saint in his church. She is about 45 minutes east of Indianapolis. And As I was a child growing up, she was a part of the church downtown Indianapolis that I was in. But then, because of health and, and uh, safety and travel and all that stuff, it was too much for her to attend a church that far away. And so she attends a church right right there by her house. And I walk in there and she told me, I mean, when you're in a church of 1,500 people or so and there's all kinds of people coming and going, I know everybody's face, but I didn't know everybody's name. I didn't know the details of their life growing up. And I come over there Saturday night. We were late at the service. And she said, I want you to know there's not a day that goes by. She said, there's very few days that go by that I don't call your name out before the Lord. I couldn't even in that moment, Brother Bollinger, I couldn't remember her first name. But she said, I watched you as a child grow up and I seen God's hand on his life. And she said, I'm just praying for you. She said, and I pray for Janelle and I pray for Luca. Wow. How does she even know the details of my life? People out there praying for one another. I'm going to tell you, I, I run into people all the time. There's people in this church. For some of you in here, I know when I'm having a bad day, I can thank God. Because I know some of you are praying for me. There's times in my life where I feel it. There's times where I have physically stopped and say, God, I don't know who's praying for me right now, but I feel it. And I pray you give them an extra big blessing right now. And you know what? There's times where God lays people on my heart. It, it can be in the middle of something. It can be the oddest time. God drops something in my heart. And I just stop the car. I just do whatever. And I just start praying for them. Sometimes I leave it and I go on. But I know in that moment God's doing something. I'm going to tell you, we've got to have enough humility that we can receive that from one another. We've got to have enough humility that we can do that for one another. Pride doesn't willfully submit to authority, let alone to a fellow human being. Pride doesn't willfully submit to authority, let alone to a fellow human being. So we're in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Paul is talking about submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Tonight, let me just take a moment to, pa to, to pause and address this. If we go on, he's talking about in the church submitting yourself to, to one another, and he goes into the model of marriage. Can I tell you so many people in, in church and in the world reject the biblical model of marriage 
Because Paul here, he's addressing submission and the power of leveraging humility in relationships. He continues with the example of the biblical model of marriage. And the reason why so many people reject it is because they reject the humility it requires. You want to see what Paul says about marriage? Go with me. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. He talked about submitting yourselves. And so next, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Paul connects your attitude in your marriage with your relationship with God. He said, don't do that because he's the best man that ever walked the earth. He didn't say do this because it's going gonna, it's gonna to reap you great rewards. He said, do it as unto the Lord. You are a witness. You are a testimony. Your life lived out is an offering of service unto God. What if marriage is more about making us holy than it is about making us happy? And what if happiness in marriage isn't, amen, the focus, but it's the offspring. It's the natural byproduct of what God has us, has us doing. Here, submit yourself to your husbands as unto the Lord. Say, well, I don't like that. I don't like that language. I, I'm, I don't accept that. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I don't have time to get into the depths of all of this because it's beautiful, but too many times people totally misunderstand it and they misread this. Look at what he does now. He starts first with the wives and he talks to them and then he goes to the husband and now he's really ready to lay the blow. You want to talk about something more weightier. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, he didn't say love your husbands. He didn't say treat them like they're the greatest person in the world. He says just submit yourselves. Just acknowledge the role that God has created you to play and you do it not to be pleasing to your husband, but you do it as unto the Lord, as an offering unto the Lord. And then he looks to the husbands and he says, but you have to love your wives and give yourself. Never told the wife that she had to give herself to death, to the... To, 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 the, to the husband. He never told, he never put that responsibility because God never required that, but to the husband, to the men, to the men in the relationship, Paul, he, he, he's exampling or, or he's extending the commandment that God had to them. He said, God wants you to love your wife if it kills you. You give yourself for it. You humble yourself. I'm going to tell you, we read, some people read this and they think that this is all about male dominance. I'm going to tell you, you're missing the whole thing. To the men, God said, no, you've got to love them so much that even if it costs you everything, you've got to have so much humility You've got to have so much humility that you've got to let go of everything else. Your, your hobbies, your interests, your dreams, your desires, that does not come first. Your serving, your loving, the responsibility of your wife comes first even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
Let me tell you, you can't have a marriage without humility. Because pride says, I'm better than that. Pride says, I'm not going to do that. Pride says, she ought to figure this out on her own. She ought to, well, pride says, well, I'm right and she's wrong. But humility says this isn't about being right or wrong. This is about being right with God and doing right by God. Humility, is this all right tonight? You can't get this, can't get this everywhere, but you can get it every time from the Word of God. I won't go into it, but too many people don't understand this and they reject the biblical model of marriage because ultimately what are they rejecting? They're rejecting the humility that it requires. And we're in Ephesians 5 right now, but I will tell you this, that 1 Corinthians chapter 11 has everything to do with submission and humility and how you pray. And that model, Paul goes, when he's talking about your prayer being effective, what does he refer back to? He refers back to the roles of the relationships right here. That's a study you can do on your own. We'll cover that later on. But here he's letting us know that humility is required. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, he says this. No, we read this earlier. We, we read this, started out in the context. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let's go to the next slide. Pride never believes in those around them. But humility always supports those around them. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Esteem them. Doesn't mean that they are better. Doesn't mean that, but you esteem them better than themselves. So somebody comes in in the room Maybe, maybe they haven't done as much as you. Maybe they aren't whatever. You treat them with the same hospitality as if it was some person that was super successful, known in the city, known in the town. If somebody walked in here, if the mayor walked in here, if, so, if, if so, some figurehead walked in or some, even in our day and age, if some celebrity walked in here, everybody would be, ooh, ah, everybody would want to go up and shake their hand. But this is what Paul said, let each esteem other better than themselves. So we don't, we don't, we that have been in church for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, we don't look down to the ones that have been in church for 30, 40, and 60 days and expect them to move over to give us our place in the pew. Expect, is this all right? This is what humility does. It esteems them just, hey, you know what? I'm so glad. You take my seat. I'm so glad you're here. Make me, make me have to park a little farther out. Make me have to get here a little bit earlier. Make me, isn't that all right? We got to have humility. We esteem others' pride. Pride doesn't believe in those around them, but humility supports those around them. Come on, pride doesn't believe in those around them, but you ought to believe, those people, you ought to look around right now, look around. You ought to believe in the people that are around you. The people that are here, you ought to believe in the people that sit across the aisle from you, that sit across the church from you. Amen. I believe in you. I believe in what God's got for you. I believe in God's purpose. I believe in God's promise for you. It doesn't matter. I know you. I've seen you. I've seen you stumble, and I've seen you fall, and I've seen you make mistakes. But I'm telling you, you're still here in the church, and this is the greatest place to get another chance. This is the greatest place to get your life back on track. This is where you ought to be. Hallelujah. You know how many names are written up here of people that have been here before but wandered away, made mistakes, made mess of their life, and they want to come back? Humility. We ought to have humility in the house of God that when they come in, 
hey, you know, there's a, there's a welcomeness. There's a, wow, wow. Humility is not an option in teamwork. Humility is not an option in teamwork. Pride is a ball hog. Anybody ever remember those days? Out on the playground, out of wherever? It's like, I, 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 I've got some uh, friends of mine whose kids are in uh, uh, their, their, their school leagues or whatever, and uh, little league games and, and whatever, and one of them texted me the other day and said, man, like, going to a, I don't know, an eight-year-old basketball game is pretty much everybody, one guy has the ball, and there's four other guys constantly saying, I'm open, I'm open, I'm open. That's the whole thing. It's not much passing going on. It's pretty much dribble and shoot. And it's just, it's me, it's me, it's me. You don't win, you don't win that way. You've got to have teamwork. Humility is not an option in teamwork. Whatever team you're on, humility, without humility, team members become slaves serving a master. Or worse, they become a gathering of individual kings, each without kingdoms. If we don't get on the same team, then we're just trying to build our own kingdoms here. This is about everybody serving me. Sometimes success can be achieved from the slave-master mentality, and too often in celebrity-type uh, situations, it does work. The celebrity is the one with all the pride, and everybody else is humbled because they want to be just like them, and so they can get ahead. But humility, humility must be involved in teamwork. And in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, Christ said, we cannot be like the Gentiles. We cannot be like the Romans. We cannot be lording over one another. But he says, he that is greatest among you is least among you. He that is the greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant in the kingdom of God. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter number 5. And let's look at this expressly within the kingdom of God. Here, Peter talks about the structure, and I'm coming to a close. He talks about the structure of organization within the church. In chapter 5, the first seven verses, he says, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who also am an elder, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He's, he's qualifying. He's saying, I'm talking to the elders. I, I'm, I'm speaking now. And it's okay to have acknowledgement. It is not an arrogant thing. It is not a prideful thing to acknowledge that there are elders in the church. And by elders, we're not just talking about older people, but talking about people that are more mature in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've been around. They've seen some things. They've proven themselves in the spirit and in the word. Paul says, I'm also an elder. And to them, he says this, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Don't be, don't be forced into this, but be willing to serve the kingdom of God. Look at what he says, not for filthy lucre, not for money's sake. Your motivation to be the leader is ought not to be for gain that you make in this life. He said, but of a ready mind, be ready to serve when the Lord calls you. 
And he says, neither as being lords over God's heritage. The way the elders lead, don't be lords over the heritage. It's not, it's not uh, 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 everybody's here to serve you when you show up. He said, but be in samples to the flock. It is not a church, and, and you've heard me say this before. We cannot have celebrity Christianity where certain people show up and now it's their turn. We defer to them. We un I understand the anointings and the authorities, all of that stuff. We, we get all that stuff. We're not talking about that. He's saying don't be Lord over God's heritage, that this is a kingdom or that, that we are kings of or, or that we're dictators kind of thing and it's my way or the highway. He said, but the way that you lead is by being an example to the flock. Don't walk in, put your nose up, sit back, and expect everybody to be jumping and worshiping and running around if you're not willing to get out there and worship yourself. Don't expect everybody to amen the pastor and the preacher when you don't amen the preaching in your own life. This is what he's saying. Be an example. You've got to be a leader. You've got to do this. That's why David won the heart of God and the people when he brought the ark back to Jerusalem and he laid aside his kingly garment and he took on a linen ephod and he began to worship and he began to magnify God every 10 paces, setting up another sacrificing and praising and magnifying God all the while from the window of his own house, his wife looked out, and with pride she looked down, embarrassed and totally humiliated. She, how could you, David? And the Bible says that God shut her womb up because of the pride that she had in that point. Can I tell you, amen, I thank God for the humility that David had to be a leader and an example. Men, can I tell you, you are the head of your house. You are the head of your home. God's going to stop there. Don't expect your children to worship because your wife taught them or because the mother taught them. I'm preaching now, amen, on Wednesday night. But you've got to be an example. It's important that our children see their fathers and their mothers praying and worshiping God. Don't expect your child to run to the altar and pray through if they haven't seen you. Run to the altar and pray through. Pride says, I don't need to do that. I'm good. Humility says, God, I need you. Humility says, pray for us. Everybody remember that? Pray for me. Pray for us. Humility says, God, I need you in my life. This is what he's telling us. He's telling us, you've got to have humility. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now let me speak to the under 40 crowd. Don't be so quick to mark off the over 40 crowd, the over 60 crowd, the over 80 crowd, because those white hairs and that lack of hair is born out of trials and temptations and testimony. 
Thank God for the elders that maybe can't run the aisles, so to speak, anymore, and the elders that can't serve like they used to anymore, but they gave their years and they gave their heart, and it's still in their spirit, and they're still faithful to the house of God. Thank God for the ones who blazed the trail, who went through sacrifices and things. When we're younger, we think, oh, they don't know what's going on. Be careful. Be careful. When you push aside just another person, you're just waiting for them to get out of the way. I hate that when I hear that. Just waiting for someone to die. What are you wasting? You're wasting. You're wasting so much wisdom. You're wasting so much stuff. Go over there and sit down and learn how to get through some things, how to pray through some things. Go down there. Let them teach you some things. We've got to have humility. Sure, maybe, you know, things happen. Fads change. Things happen. I get all that. By the time Luke is in high school, I'm going to be so old-fashioned and so out of style in this modern world because if you thought it happened quick before, it's happening quicker with every passing generation. Technology, things aren't even, man, fads are coming so quick. Trends are going so quick and coming and going so fast. You're, you, 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 you unplug for a week and you're behind the times. You've missed it. You've lost out. I'm going to tell you, don't ever get to a place where you're ready to wait for them to die. We need a multi-generational church. We don't need a church of just millennials. We don't need a church of just children. We don't need a church, amen? We don't need a, we need a church. We need everybody in the church. We need young and old. When we look at the demographics, and by the way, when we sent that out, we were asking for your birthday. That wasn't because we're checking up on how old you are. I don't want you to be nervous about that. We don't project that. That just helps us know. It does help us track a little bit the demographics of our church. Helps us a little bit sort of show and know if all of our church is under 20, then we maybe got to do something. If all of our church is over 60, then, hey, maybe we got to do something. What we need is we need, we need a, 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 a representation and ministry in every phase of life because God is good in every phase of life. We need to see that all, all the way, and the only way that's going to happen is we've got to have humility. We got to have humility. I'm gonna, I'm gonna thank God uh, uh, every time a young person comes up here and sings and plays and does whatever. I, I praise God for that. I thank God for that. Don't get a hold of a position in the church. Hear me. Don't get a hold of a position in a church that you're gonna hold on. Nobody else can do it like I can do it. I'm the only one that can do it. No, it is a testimony and it is a blessing. It is a testimony of your faith when somebody else can stand in your stead. It means you train somebody else up. I didn't know this, but at this church I was preaching at Saturday, so many things happened. There was a, there was a, a family that was a part of the church. I closed with this. I'm coming to a close. I'll close with this. There was a family in the church who I didn't know this, but his the the men that was over the man that was over the baptistry ministry when I was a child and my teenage years was a man by the name of Brother Guffey at home. He was over the baptismal ministry. Brother Guffey's daughter was attends the church we were just preaching at this past Saturday. And Sister Guffey just passed away a couple weeks ago. They had her funeral. Maybe, yeah. And uh, I never knew this, but I did know that Brother Guffey took the baptismal ministry from my dad's grandfather. So my great-grandfather was a man by the name of Ralph Mercer, was one to the Lord, and he came into the church there uh, under a man, Pastor, Pastor Hookstra. He was a pastor before... 
uh, N.A. Urshan comes and takes that church. And so my great-grandfather comes, and he's an elder in the church, a deacon in the church, and he was over the baptismal ministry. And then after him, Brother Guffey took the baptismal ministry. Here's the thing I didn't know, Brother Bollinger. They had a tent revival on the south side of Indianapolis. And in that tent meeting, my grandfather witnessed and prayed through Brother and Sister Guffey. Brother and Sister Guffey were their disciple. And when they got in the church, they wanted to serve. So where else did they to serve but by the person that won them to the Lord? And they, I didn't know this, but they started serving in the baptismal ministry. And he literally won to the Lord the replacement for the ministry he had. I'm going to tell you, you know how many people don't miss an opportunity to make a convert. Don't miss an opportunity to make a disciple. We've got to have humility in the kingdom of God. Without humility, and this is the last slide, without humility, there is no unity. There is no empathy. There is no long-suffering. And there is no good leadership. Without humility, there's no unity. There's no empathy. There's no long-suffering. There's no good leadership. Stand together with me.